and welcome to another episode of the Transfer News Centre podcast. I'm Johnny Bentley, your host, and once again, I'm joined by James. Hi, everyone. Yes, and of course, the Transfer News Central podcast is in the process of shifting over to a Transfer News Central 15 minutes of football podcast, where we decipher the most complex of footballing topics in 15 minutes or less. And I think there's no better place to start with that than with Lionel Messi. Now, I'm actually looking a bit like a priest with a collar around my uh, jumper, although it's a blue collar. And in fact, Manchester City are blue and the god of football could well be going to the Etihad. I think that was quite well done, actually, off the top of my head. So, I mean, it's a really weird one, isn't it, James? Because there's not many football clubs that could break the bank for the footballing wizard that is Lionel Messi. But amazingly, the relationship between the player and his, his beloved club has got so bad now, probably as a result of a chairman that slowly drained the life out of a once great football club in recent years, that now Messi feels he has to leave this summer as opposed to when his contract runs out in 12 months' time. Yeah, it's, it's a symptom of what's happened at Barcelona, really. Like you say, I mean, 10 years ago, they were the best team in the world, one of the best teams ever. Messi at the heart of that. Now it seems they've they've lost direction. They've got no clear strategy. Signings are just being made for stupid money, without any real clear decision about where they're going to fit into the team. You've had big signings that have flopped. You know, I mean, Griezmann hasn't performed that well. Coutinho was loaned out. You know, things like that haven't paid off. What I've read. And what I, my sense of it is that, is that Messi is thinking, well, I'm 33 years old. I want to win the Champions League again. Barcelona haven't won the Champions League for quite a few years and don't look like they will be challenging for it for at least another two or three years. And he wants to win the Champions League again. And he wants a good sporting project. And he wants to be somewhere where, with a manager that he can trust, with people that he can trust. And I feel like he wants to go to Manchester City because... They already have a very strong squad. They're going to improve in other areas this summer as well. They have Pep Guardiola, who he knows and trusts, and who probably got the best out of him. And they have Lucas Stein as the director of football, who he knows and trusts as well. And they have the money to do the deal. They've wanted to get Messi for a while, judging by a lot of accounts. And to me, I mean, to be honest, all the reports that I've read, you know, that Messi phoned Guardiola a few weeks ago that Manchester City had been preparing this deal for a few weeks. Suggests to me that this has been in the this has been in the works for longer than we've actually known about publicly, as well. I think Messi Man City is a great football project. It's with, with a great team, great manager, playing a style of play that suits him that he can adapt to very quickly, and he can immediately challenge for the Champions League and the Premier League. So, yeah. and the, the suggestion is as well that he would be wouldn't be contracted directly to Manchester City, but to the City group. So would then go directly to a, um, one of Manchester City's networks of clubs, so potentially in, in New York, uh, I think New York City FC. So then be kind of an employer of the club and ambassador for the club and all that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, have big plans for him. So I think that will happen one way or another. I don't know how it will happen. It might be messy. And that's, and I suppose that is a good pun, isn't it? But <laughs> it will be, it will get a bit ugly, but could get a bit ugly. But I think ultimately they'll find a way to do it because the player has decided to leave. It's all about politics at this point now. Barcelona, though, Messi doesn't want to look like he's trying to force his way out of Barcelona. Mm. And City, Pep Guardiola, won't want to look like he's he's kind of thirsting to get him at, at Manchester City because of his status at Barcelona. And Barcelona will, will not want to look like they're trying to sell him. Yeah, so it's going to be complicated. But I think the most likely scenario is that he ends up at Manchester City. If he doesn't, he will end up. He will stay. He'll be staying at Barcelona. But yeah, I think I think with, you, you're sort of, you're sort of hitting the nail on the head there. I mean, there is a lot of PR relations going on at the moment. So, for example, the Barcelona chairman is aware, obviously, of the, the, the mistakes that he's made in the past and his unpopular relationship yeah. with the fans is taking the stance that he's offered his resignation, from what I've read with reports, if Messi agrees to stay, knowing 
that Messi is unlikely to agree to stay because his mind's already been made up, which means that Bob, uh, the chairman can then say to the supporters, well, I did try to offer my resignation. The player himself forced the move. It's not. It's out of my hands. It's not because of me, because it was mm. my resignation would have meant that Messi's dead. So it's it's yeah. it's it's a big you know area of delicacies at the moment, and, and lots of people wanted to protect reputations. You've said Pep Guardiola has a very um, good reputation, of course, with the Barcelona fans, and he doesn't want to be seen to be the antagonist of the piece by trying to drag Messi away from his club. Because of course, Messi very much is Barcelona and has been Barcelona for a long, long time. So there's a lot of niceties involved here. No one wants to step on anyone's egg on any eggshells. No one wants to uh, risk putting their own reputation in the mud. But as you say, Man City do look like uh, the favorite favorite team for Messi to go to. Uh, but let's just for a moment consider some other possibilities. Obviously, PSG are big spenders usually. Uh, in Europe, spent nearly £400 million on Neymar and Mbappe. Messi, of course, is very good friends with Neymar. A front three of Neymar, Mbappe and uh, Messi would be scintillating with De Maria playing just behind. Um, <laughs> and, and with PSG, there is always a sense that if a superstar is available, they will find some way to weave around certain regulations. Yes. Yes. But... At the same time, I suppose the signing of Chupa Moting recently was indicative of the fact, hang on, we've spent a fortune on mm. two superstars. We don't have much left in the tank. Yeah. And with Luis Suarez available now, having had his contract terminated by Barcelona or, 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 is, or is set to be a free transfer, there's obvious alternatives to this p- potential Messi deal, which... Even though Messi's pushing for a free transfer, it doesn't look like he's going to get it because the only time he could have triggered that in his clause was in June, and that was obviously yeah. a few months ago. Yeah, that's right. So we think generally, even though it would be amazing to see a Messi, Mbappe and Neymar together, it's probably not going to happen. But Suarez might PSG. Suarez, yeah. I mean, Juventus are looking at it. Suarez, I think. Yeah, yeah. As well, to be an interesting one. Well, James, Ronaldo and Messi at Juventus would be also another one. Well, they've, been linked with, they've been linked with Messi today, I think, as well. The, the only thing that puts me off is I know how much they put into the Ronaldo deal. It left them cash-strapped in many ways. They had to yeah. abandon a youth project that they were building over the years to go. They put all their eggs into the Ronaldo basket in the hope that he would push them that extra step and get them to the Champions League final where they could possibly, you know, win the prestigious trophy that they've been chasing for so long and that hasn't quite worked out and Ronaldo's probably not got too many more seasons left in him there may be I suppose a reluctance from their part to even though it would be probably one of the most again marketable commercial deals in the history of football to have Ronaldo and Messi in the same team could there be maybe an eye and thinking hang on a second we've already tried this once we try it twice it could basically I don't know destroy the club not destroy the club but put the club back a few years in terms of the the young pro- i mean they've got pirlo in charge now a, a novice of a manager is that the sign maybe that they want to pursue a more long-term project because the ronaldo one has even though he's done well it hasn't quite delivered what they wanted yeah i i, I don't take them seriously as a contender for messi probably have interest but yeah they need a whole we'll talk about this later as well but they they've got a whole rebuild on right now yeah and Messi should be the last thing on their mind frankly so uh, signing him so I very much doubt that that Messi will go there but, and partly because as well because of where they are as a club they're not they're not serious contenders for the Champions League right now Messi wants to win the Champions League so I, I could discount them I think it was just sort of to balance the fact you know that obviously they were probably two of the biggest teams involved or chasing mm. Messi other than Manchester City. Into Milan were linked, but I couldn't think of a player who would be probably less suited to an Antonio Conte yeah, system. that's right. It would be so weird. Even though Antonio Conte himself would no doubt play in virtually every game because some players are system-proof, I guess. And, you, 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 you know, even though you've got so many tactics, you wouldn't not have the best in that team. But it wouldn't seem, you wouldn't think the player would like that kind of style, and you wouldn't, even though Conte would put him in the team, you wouldn't think that 
lack of a working ethic a running mentality you wouldn't think that would sit too well with Conte even if he is the best player on the planet are they with their other potential links for Messi I mean just before we suggest what he could do at Manchester City do you think there's any chance that he stays at Barcelona now and the club just say you know what we aren't selling you for any price because obviously the the um I think you know the for Messi himself, he, he's, a, he's a person who absolutely loves football, and uh, you know he is, you know he's played consistently for forever almost. You know uh, it feels like not never really on the treatment table for too long. Is there a chance that Barcelona say, you know what, we got you, you stay until the end of your contract? Is there a, I mean, it's could you imagine Messi saying, "I'm not going to play," and then just having a Messi Özil situation like at Barcelona, like at Arsenal, where? Oh. He's just not in the shadows. I don't think he'd refuse to play because mm. he loves Barcelona still mm. as a club. It's just the people, the people that he has a problem with are the president and, and the directors. Yeah, so if the president stood down, the same directors would still be there. So the problem would still remain. And I think Barcelona fans know that as well. Mm. I, mean, I don't think they would ever blame Messi. I think they blame the president and the directors and they want them mm. all to go. Mm. Uh, um, so they would, and I don't think they'd ever blame Pep either. No. I think they, it's you know this is all kind of if they all left straight away, and you got a new president in straight away, which is highly unlikely because the elections take three months to organise, mm. then he could stay. Mm. And it may be that they, if they're really really annoying about it, they they might try and force him to stay. Mm. And if they if he if he if he did stay, I'm sure he'd be professional about it because mm. he's a top professional, but mm. he wouldn't be happy. Yes. And you know it would be his last year there, uh, and he'd move next summer. You know, yeah. He still take me thirty four because he's messy. You know, and then they'd lose him for absolutely nothing, rather than I could sell him for what a hundred, a hundred and fifty million. Yeah. Now, I mean, yeah, like you say, James, he been... could probably push the boat out to do. If they lose Messi, they lose ninety million off their wage bill. And if they get 100, 200 million in transfer fees as well, yeah, that, that really helps Barcelona financially. And it will mean they'll be able to rebuild the team, rebuild the club. Well, you've touched and on it, that's James. Where they need to be, actually. So it might be a good thing for Barcelona. Although yeah, nobody you... would say that. Nobody at Barcelona would ever say that, but it might be. And it would probably be better for Messi as well. It's mm. great. Well, you've touched on it, actually, because there were talks about him leaving on a free, which seemed to be unrealistic, given that, one, the contractual deadline was in June for Messi to potentially leave on a free. And even though they'll use the coronavirus as an excuse, I think, to be honest, Barcelona's lawyers and Barcelona's team that have that contract written up, I cannot see a way where there's not going to be any stipulations for any worldwide pandemic, I don't think, written into that contract. So it's looking like he will be going... For a sizable fee, and I'd just like to ask you before we move on to the topic. There could be another, so there could be another time for if Messi does join Manchester City. The next fifteen-minute topic can be how does he fit in. But until then, I think it's better to speculate how Manchester City might bring him in. And I heard a rumor that suggested eighty million pounds plus Gabriel Jesus, Angelino, and um, uh, Eric Garcia. Now, I can't help but think that's a little bit of an overpayment for someone who's, even though he's the best player in the world, has 12 months left, left on his deal, is 33 years old, and he desperately wants to leave the club. That's true. I mean, yes. I think Barcelona will want a world record fee for him. They'll want more than, than PSG paid for Neymar. That's, mm-hmm. I don't know that for fact, but I would think so, because Messi is the best player in the world. Mm-hmm. So, And what does it look like if they sell Messi for less than they sell... Neymar. Although, know, so. although on, on a different level, Neymar had longer left on his contract, wasn't That's wanting true. to leave and was younger and also had the potential to usurp Messi yeah. to be the best in the world. But it's all about perception, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're right. I don't think Man City will offer that many players. Um, there might be one player in the deal. Garcia might be in the deal because mm-hmm. Barcelona wanted him anyway. Yeah. And so that could be part of the deal. It'll be a very complex deal. I personally, just to just to sort of wrap it up, I do think that the, the, the players will be involved, a fee will be involved. I think Riyad Mahrez really should be on that list of players because at 29, if Messi comes in, very possible his minutes would be numbered at Manchester City because Messi likes to play on the right. Obviously, Aguero yeah. in the centre. Riyad Mahrez, very, very talented player, very good player. Too good to be have his minutes 
completely cut down or significantly cut down, even if Messi does come in. Yeah. What an opportunity it would be for him to go to the new camp. But we'll have to wait and see how that goes. And obviously another 15-minute segment will be on how Manchester City, how Neymar would suit Manchester City if indeed he does go. But that's for another day. And of course, we can move on to our second topic now, which is more related to your club, James. Chelsea doing remarkably well yeah. this season in the in the in the summer window. So so far, they signed Hekim Ziyech before the summer window opened. Then they signed Timo Werner before the summer window opened again, uh, or before the, the extended window opened. They then signed Ben Chilwell, Thiago Silva, and uh, are in the process of trying to get Kai Havertz. Uh, also, Malang Sar on a free transfer. Uh, probably go out on loan if he, I believe. Yeah. And then after Kai Havertz, there's the possibility I've read of Declan Rice, although that might be a bit of a stretch considering yeah. how much has been spent so far. And also potentially a goalkeeper, although some people have suggested that because they've spent significantly in defence and, and in, on improvements outfield, that maybe they will give Kepariza Balaga another chance, another season. How happy are you so far with the business, James, of this team uh, for Chelsea? Because it's an overhaul, isn't it? A two it, is, it is an overhaul, yeah. yeah. And Chelsea fans will tell you this is much needed. Chelsea have got a lot, of, have had a lot of deadwood they've wanted to get rid of for mm. quite a while. I think circumstances conspire to help Chelsea. Like last year, they sold Eden Hazard for, well, in its initial 90 million, but then another kind of 30, 40 million add-ons, which they will have got some of this summer, actually. They brought in about 130 million in last summer overall. Couldn't spend any of it because they had a transfer ban. And they sold Morata for 50 million this summer as well. So they've got nearly 200 million in the bank just sitting there waiting to spend. And then a global pandemic comes. So a lot of the competition for some of the players that we wanted kind of dropped away. So they were able to go after their number one targets. Timo Werner probably would have gone to Liverpool if not for the pandemic. Chelsea got him. Kai Havertz, would, there would have been a lot more competition for Kai Havertz had there not been a pandemic. Would have been very difficult to sign him. But as it is, there's no competition. Ben Chilwell, I think, would always, was always going to be mm. a Chelsea player. Frank Lamp, he was one of Frank Lampard's biggest targets when he joined. Chelsea have wanted him left back for quite a while mm-hmm. and Declan Rice is a long-term Chelsea target as well I think I think I'm, I'm not sure where they'll go though this summer but I do think that ultimately he will end up at Chelsea he wants to play with Mason Mount his whole family are Chelsea fans he uh, I think uh, it's kind of his dream move he was a Chelsea academy player as well so I think that will happen at some point I don't know whether it will happen this summer I think Thiago Silva was an opportunity that came up that Chelsea felt they couldn't ignore because like, Thiago Silva's pedigree is, is incredible. I mean, he's, he's still one of the best defenders in Europe, I think. Like, I and mean, his performances in the Champions League showed that against one of the best attacking sides in the world, Bayern Munich. He was really good. He had a good game. It wasn't really, I mean, you could say partly at fault for the goal, but generally he had a really good game. So Chelsea saw an opportunity in there. They want to get, they've got a lot of dead wood they want to get rid of. Lots of players, there's too many to name. You have Pedro and William out of contract this summer, and they both left. And you've got other players that they'll want to sell as well. I think after the Havertz deal goes through, you'll see a lot of players sold before they go after other players. I think they do want a goalkeeper this summer. It just depends on which one they go for, depends on how much they can bring in via sales and whether they can loan Kepper out. Nick Pope is meant to be one of the biggest targets at goalkeeper, which won't be good for you, obviously, for your club. The way that Chelsea are building, it's largely young players that can be there for the next five, six, seven years uh, and mm. get back to the top again. Yeah. Because they haven't been at the top of English football or European football for quite a while. I mean, they won the league in 2017 with a team that wasn't really a great team apart from Eden Hazard. Mm. Diego Costa probably and Kante. They haven't been the Champions League semi-finals since 2014. Mm. You know, and that's not good enough for, mm. for Chelsea, Chelsea's ambitions. So, yeah, it's it's kind of the beginning of a new Chelsea team. Mm. Uh, for Chelsea fans, it's really exciting. Yeah, I mean, my my reaction, you know, it, it largely has been 
as you sort of alluded to, sort of two summer windows morphed into one, which is why you've seen so much activity in terms of additions. It really has. And um, you have, to me, we saw, we've talked about this before on the podcast, in that Frank Lampard was setting up post-lockdown in a 4-3-3 with two number eights. And we were sort of seeing that. Now, I think, even though that's probably his long-term formation plan, I still feel, and I know they set up like this today, they set up in a 4-2-3-1 today, that even though that might be his, uh, it was a 1-1 with Brighton, I think, even though it may be his dream to play the 4-3-3, just like Pep Guardiola, just like many coaches in, in Europe's in Europe's top teams, much like they all, all look towards, sort of seen as the the quintessential total football kind of style, kind of formation, very expansive. I feel like he may be better going with the 4-2-3-1 a little bit this season because it's unlikely that he's going to get that quintessential number six CDM who can tackle, cover ground and play passes like Fernandinho at Manchester City did for many years or like Rodri is doing yeah. or morphing into now, like Fabinho yeah. does a little bit for Liverpool like in many ways. These are really top-end players. And even though Angelo Kante is a top-level player, a really good player, he's predominantly done well in a two-man middle, a double pivot. At Leicester, Danny Drinkwater and Angelo Kante... Drinkwater sat next to him. Drinkwater not doing as well at Chelsea, but that worked really well at Leicester at the time. Drinkwater doing the passes and covering ground and Kante again, you know, sort of maybe using Drinkwater as a as a positional reference to stay to stay in his midfield lane, also do the do the defensive grafting work uh, that 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 Drinkwater didn't do as well. And then you go to Chelsea and he's partnered in, in Antonio Conte's system with Nemanja Matic, a very solid, sturdy, positionally sensible midfielder again suits Angolo Kante playing next to someone like that and, and, and for Franz I think uh, he played with Paul Pogba again as well who's been, played, often been quite very disciplined for Franz in the World Cup uh, in a 4-2-3-1 and again Kante's done well relatively well in that system but I still feel when you and it's the same for Jorginho actually in many ways someone who might not be moved on because of the coronavirus pandemic you can't move everyone on who maybe doesn't sort of suit a particular uh, football club. Talked about Jorginho a lot. Very good player. Is he completely fitted into or suited to Lampard's style? We're not sure. But nor is N'Golo Kante, I don't think. So, again, there might be an option to having both of those in many ways do suit, do kind of suit the 4-2-3-1. And Matteo Kovacic, who was arguably Chelsea's player of the season, is better suited to a 4-2-3-1. So, is there a point in maybe sort of Putting, putting the stop on slightly, going all hell for leather, 4-3-3 with two eights, maybe saying, actually, we're not quite there yet. We've made big strides this summer. We've got a lot of strength with strength and centre-back. We've got a left-back with massively overhauled the attack. But for me, I still think they lack the specialists may be required. This, and, and it's unrealistic to get them this summer to get that loan number six and the two eights in front. And, you, and it just seems a waste if you've still got Kante, Jorginho and Kovacic on the books because because that system basically is negating all of their strengths, really. Yeah, I know. I think Lampard, this is two summers where Lampard, Chelsea will recruit again next summer. And I'm sure, I'm almost 99% sure that one of those signings they recruit next summer will be a proper defensive midfield mm-hmm. player. Chelsea have not got one. You'd argue that Ampadu could become one. He's definitely got the ability, but is he ready to start every week in the Premier League at Chelsea? Probably not yet. He's got a lot of games, but mm. not regularly uh, yet. He's certainly got potential because he's shown it for Wales playing that role. So, yeah, it may be that what Lampard does is kind of park Kante as a as a number six for a season mm. until he gets the, the, the CDM he wants. He's played there for Chelsea. Mm. And he's been pretty good, pretty solid defensively when he's been mm. there. And it may be that with his injuries that he he, he might have to adapt his role as he gets older mm. and be that be a bit less of that kind of bustling player and you know, getting all those knocks mm. and actually just kind of sitting deep and mm. winning the ball and protecting the back four, which he could do easily. Mm. He's mm. he's got the energy to do it, he's got the physical strength to do it, he's good defensively positionally he's very good mm. not ideal no uh, I think Lampard's, Lampard's ideal definitely would be 
uh, CDM behind Mount and I have it. Could you, you know. ima- could you imagine Fernandinho when under Guardiola for Lampard now in those the years where he was the or, or even Rodri for example who, who's who's very good now uh, developing at Manchester City that's the ideal isn't it because not only can he tackle and hold his position but he's a very good passer. Do we look yeah. at Kante and I think great tackler, great defensive work, not the best passer and I still don't think he's got the best positional sense. I think. He still likes to be everywhere a little bit too much instead of, you know, yeah, sort of sitting there. Duracell battery springs to mind. Other batteries are available, but he is sort <laughs> of always on the move, isn't he? And also, again, he's not someone who you, you feel confident if the defender passes at him and he's on the turn, is he going to be able to spray a ball like a Rodri or a Fernandinho can? Probably not as well. Then you've got Jorginho, who for me is a very good passer of the ball. If the defender's passing Jorginho on the half turn, you would back him to play the ball 30 yards accurately to another teammate. But with Jorginho... <laughs> One player would be exactly. uh, good, wouldn't it? Because but, Jorginho, uh, he's, he's, his positional sense is good when the team need to build up play, but not as good maybe when they need to hold and, and defend. No, and yeah, also, yeah, it, he's not yeah, as good a tackler, yeah. is he either? No, no he, you can't play him as a, as a, as a six in a, in a 4-3-3. You, you no. can't. Well, not in the Premier League. I think it kind of worked for Napoli. In Italy, but it worked because yeah. it was Sarri's system, yeah, and it was kind of built around him, yeah, and it's slower pace. So mm-hmm. he works in that formation perfectly, mm-hmm. uh, but not in yeah, not in the way that Lampard wants to play. And I think yeah, and I, it, it's going to be interesting because like, Declan Rice, you see, mm. they want to they want to they're buying him long term. They want to buy him long term as a centre back. Mm. That's the position he played in the academy. It's his best position, apparently. Uh, that's what they want to use him as, but he's also a very good defensive midfield player. He is, and his passing is excellent. Yeah, and if, if Chelsea signed him now, they would probably use him as much as a six as they did at centre back. Yeah, I think they would transition him if they signed him this summer. They would transition him to centre back over the season, but play him at same defensive midfield. You could play him in a pivot with Kante even. So. Yeah, that's the benefit of signing him now because it means that you've got more of a proper DM until you can sign someone you actually want to play there and move yeah. Rice back to centre back. I mean, long term, Jorginho and Kante are not probably not no going to be at Chelsea. I mean, no. that's 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 that's. Could you see right. both well, of them? Class player, don't get me wrong. Mm. I mean, Could you Kante's, see both of them getting minutes, James? Is in maybe through rotation, maybe with Kovacic next to the Mount. Of course, is someone who could suffer with all, all these, you know, offensive players coming in. I think Lampard loves Mount. Mm. Uh, Lampard is a big fan of Mount. I think Mount is Mount is really key to. He was superb for Chelsea last year. Played fifty-two games. I think he got fourteen goal involvements, and we missed that. Chelsea missed him when he didn't play. I think, I think he's in Frank Lampard's first choice eleven when he's fit, and he can play so many positions as well. Is that over play... Kovacic? See, I yeah, Kovacic is a great player. I just think that Mount delivers more overall in terms of tangibles, hmm. and in terms of also, I think he's better defensively as well. I like That's... his pressing. He wins the ball well. He closes down space. And then his passing is very good. He can get forward into the box and score. He can, you know, create chances. And Kovacic is great at dribbling. Yeah. His passing is good. And he's got tons of energy. Yeah, he's great to watch. And he really was great yeah. last year. Well, one so, thing that is sure, James, just to summarise and, and finish this point off, is that Chelsea have made great strides this summer. However, there's still a little bit of something in me that thinks yes. that they're going to be third it's a ceiling yes. because there's two teams that are still very I much better. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. that's my... Fantastic. My, my prediction for the next season is Chelsea to finish third, actually. so Great yeah. minds, James. Great minds. And then <laughs> on, to the, on to the next topic of sorts. Well, this is more of a general summary of, of transfers going or what potential speculation elsewhere. And there's, a, you know, there's quite a few that spring to mind. I mean, just to, we've actually, this podcast is being filmed just after the Community Shield. And Ainsley Maitland-Niles was uh, massively linked with Wolves because Matt Doherty seems to be, well, not because, but it, it turns out that Matt Doherty seems to be on his way to Tottenham Hotspur, well, Tottenham with Jose Mourinho. Yeah. Maitland-Niles seemed to be off to Wolves. I think Doherty's further down the pipeline, certainly, than Maitland-Niles is because he was the man of the match for Arsenal in the Community Shield. Mm. What do you make of that one, James? I mean, it's strange that, you know, someone who's got so much speculation around him starts in the Community Shield. Not only does he start, he gets man of the match, scores a penalty mm. in the shootout. I mean, 
he looks like a very good player, doesn't he? Someone who can play so many positions. Arsenal mm. would be a bit crazy to let him go, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think they would. But I, th- I think it's interesting with Arsenal. They've made 55 people redundant. Mm. And then put Willian on a massive contract. They're about to give Aubameyang a massive contract. Mm. They're, they're about to sign Gabriel, who I think will be a really good... I think he'll be an angel at centre-back, won't he, James? He'll be really good for them. Yeah. That's a good signing. I think they need to sell so that they can bring players in that they want. Mm. And yeah. it's weird that they pay him in the community shield if they want to sell him. Mm. It is. That, is that not terrific? That sometimes happens, doesn't it? Does that not add five million to his transfer value now, though? Five or six well, million, maybe? If you're good at negotiating, it does. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose it does. I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there, James, as well. Uh, Gabriel from Lille looks set to sign in the coming days. I mean, this is uh, a left footer centre back, still very young, very good. Um, defensive-minded defender, which doesn't always happen these days. And that's something that Arsenal have lacked, really. I mean, David Luiz is a very good footballer and maybe not quite as good as a defensive-minded defender as, as certainly other options out there. I mean, to me, Gabriel, as we say, someone who can fill that left side, he's fast, got the potential to be very, very good, under £30 million. So that looks like a done deal. I mean, Martin Keown seems very uh, excited by it, being an Arsenal fan and uh, yeah. being a centre-back himself. I mean, this one's quite a good sign. Quite a good signing, anyway, because not only is he all the things that I've just mentioned, but he's also been caught up by the likes of Manchester United. So for Arteta to pull this one off, you know, he'll be quite yeah, happy, he, won't he? Yeah, yeah, he will. I think they've actually recruited quite well. Mm. Limited budget, mm. so they've had to be clever about it. But it looks like they are being clever about it. I mean, mm. William on a free, then that's that. That is a good signing for them. Mm. And Gabriel for 20, 20, I think 22 million, 25 million, something like that, mm. is an excellent deal. And, and saliva as well. Saliba from, uh, yes. uh, from uh, who they signed last summer from St Etienne. Very, very um, young player. Part of me thinks actually he's going to be, he's going to play for Arsenal. You know, he's got the ability, no doubt. And some people compare him to Van Dijk, which is a little bit uh, premature, but. He's certainly, he's very big, very fast, very good on the ball, very confident in his ability and has played a lot for a teenager. Obviously, I think if they bring Gabriel in, it wouldn't surprise me if it was David Luiz and Gabriel to begin with because, you know, Luiz, for all his faults, he knows Arteta's way of football. He's a very good footballer, if not the best defender. And Arsenal aren't going to be trying to win the Premier League this year. They know they're going to make mistakes, aren't they? So... It makes sense to probably wait on Saliba a little bit, let him adjust to English uh, football, let him adjust to sort of the English way of lifestyle and Arteta's kind of uh, style before throwing him in at the deep end and saying, look, we want you to perform straight away. Maybe give it some of the experience, lads, first of all. Yeah, that's right. I think there's a bit of plan there at mm. Arsenal. Mm. To get, uh, they want to get, I think the first, goal, the first goal is to get back in the Champions League for them. Yeah. Uh, and can they do it? I think I think they can actually. Mm. I think Arteta is that good a manager. They'd be the underdogs. Yeah. Sorry, they'd be underdogs this season if they, man- if they, they managed would. to get there. Yeah, oh no, it wouldn't be easy for them. Mm. But I think Arteta was a better manager than Oleg Gunnar Solskjaer. Better than Lampard. Better than Lampard. I think at the moment he is. I think I think people people forget with Lampard. Lampard has only been coaching. Two years. Arteta has worked for about three or four years with Pep Guardiola before he even went to Man, went to Arsenal. So he's actually got more coaching experience, and he's been mentored by Pep Guardiola, who's one of the best managers ever. So mm-hmm. I think that helps. Lampard is kind of learning on the job, as it were, but he's shown glimpses of a lot of potential tactically. Mm-hmm. The way he's adapted to certain opposition. Spurs last year is a great example. He beat Jose Mourinho twice. He beat Pep Guardiola. Mm. He'd be Jurgen Klopp. He'd be Ajax. Arteta's won a fair few games as well, hasn't he? In the big yeah, no, he has. I rate Arteta very mm. highly. Mm. I think. I think ultimately he'll end up at Manchester City. Mm. And I think once he'll do three years or something at Arsenal, mm-hmm. then you know probably go to Manchester City. Might might end up at Barcelona as well if he goes abroad. Yeah. Didn't he come from Barcelona originally? The academy, I think, as a player. Mm. So, I mean, he's a, he's a fantastic, I agree with you and everything, fantastic manager. Arteta could be the key to them getting 
an unexpected fourth or, or top four position uh, or, uh, getting back into the Champions League. But we touched on a few, uh, touched on a few uh, moves there we haven't really uh, expanded upon. So Maitland-Niles, supposedly, we, we were conf- we're a bit confused, maybe why he'd go. You, as, as you probably rightly said, it's a sell-to-buy system at Arsenal. So maybe someone who can play 11 positions, maybe Arteta wants someone who can play one and be you know, really good in that position. But for Wolves, he'd be very good, wouldn't he? I think he's a perfect... Oh yeah, he's very good for Wolves. That's a very good signing for Wolves. Yeah, if he goes, if he if goes, he yeah. Goes. I mean, not only as well does he. I mean, I look at the Wolves team and sometimes think mm, they lack a bit in certain areas for depth. I mean, if Doherty goes, Maitland Niles can play right wing back. We've seen him play left wing back. We've seen him play central midfield. We've seen him play left wing and right wing. I mean, it gives them a lot of options, doesn't it? And I know maybe Arsenal. He want, as I just alluded to, maybe Arteta fancies more ready-made players who can come in, who he knows where they're going to play. But I bet Nuno Espirito Santos thinking, look, you know, for a team that often plays a similar similar 11, this is a guy that could really confuse the opposition when he turns up on the field. And where, where, How do we mark Maitland-Niles? Where is he going to play? I mean, at the moment, James, if Doherty goes to Spurs, he could be a great fit on the right-hand side at right wing back. Yeah. Yeah, that's why he, that's why he fits that system mm. really well. Wolves have been good with their recruitment for quite a while. Mm. So I think, uh, yeah, that would be a clever signing for them. Uh, What what about Doherty then to to Spurs, James? I mean, he's not a a natural right-back, is he? He was a a right-back that was... He was never. He was never considered one of the uh, one of Wolves' key men for a long time. I mean, it's only since the introduction of Nuno and the introduction of three at the back with wing backs that Doherty's really sort of come into his own. And if you watch Wolves, actually, he's often operating like a spare man in the final third, and he chips in with some goals and assists, makes really good runs, uses his physicality well, gets himself in the box, makes himself a nuisance. But this yes. is this isn't someone who defends a lot. This is someone who makes lots of attacking runs into the box. He's allowed to do mm. that because of the three at the back. It got me thinking, actually, if, if, if you know, a lot, it's going to be different at Tottenham, but Jose Mourinho is, you know, potentially maybe looking at a back three kind of setup in certain phases of a game because obviously I've heard he's a very big fan of Sessignon, who's much more of a wing back anyway than a left back. And you only need to look, really. Football's progressed so much in its progressive kind of style with many teams looking as Lampard is maybe at this 4-3-3 uh, expansive football game. But Antonio Conte, who probably shares similar principles to Mourinho, in that it's not all about possession, it's about getting the ball forward, thrives really in a three at the back with attacking wing-backs. Could there be a point where Jose Mourinho is thinking, actually, I don't buy into maybe this total football possession kind of game, but maybe we could keep, he could keep his kind of ethos, his kind of, idea about how he feels the game should be played and it might yes continue in a three at the back do you think he might be looking at that possibility I think he's used it before he used it in the back at Manchester United a few times mm. he's never been about that possession based football no. with Mourinho ever mm. no I mean ever no. um <laughs> he's about soaking up pressure defending well and then attacking on the counter attack and that's what he does that's what his teams do and at, their, at its best, that system works really well and looks is actually quite enjoyable to watch. It's yeah. just that sometimes it's, that when it gets bad, it's really bad. So, yeah, I think Spurs have had to be clever with their signings again. Mm. Hoiberg, very good. Very good Hoiberg, um, That's a good signing. I'm really impressed mm. with that. Mm. The money, especially, that they paid for him, that's a, that's a very good signing. And it's interesting to see Mourinho kind of be a bit of an underdog in the transfer market. Mm. and not make a big fuss about it mm. either. Sometimes he's often better that way when he's mm. the mm. underdog. Porto uh, in, the, in the Champions League all exactly, those years ago. Porto in the Champions League. Inter. I mean, mm. they didn't have a big budget. He had to be really clever in the market, mm. you know, mm. and he built that team and it won the Champions League. So, uh, I mean, so, I, in my head, James, you know Mourinho's a very clever guy. He wouldn't sign a wing-back if he thought, you know, just, to yeah. me, he wouldn't sign a wing-back to sit there and defend and be... He's, a defensive-minded fullback like he maybe traditionally likes. And we've seen actually with Arteta, he sort of adopts a system where defending, they defend in a three and they attack with a back four and, the, and they sort of, a, and you know, it's very fluid and flexible kind of formation. Uh, could, like I say, 
do you think that there may be that kind of view to because he knows Doherty is a good signing on paper if he's used correctly and Mourinho will know he's not an idiot he will know that if he yeah, just he gets him to defend he's not using him correctly at all won't he so whereas Ben Davis on the other side doesn't really offer much going forward he's much more of a defensive minded fullback so might maybe makes sense you keep Davis back and it's a three and then Doherty bombs on and then he's sort of a, a bit similar to Wolves maybe not quite as attacking as at Wolves but what do we think about that one? Because it, it took me by surprise a bit because it he's could, a player. It, yeah. 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 It's going to be interesting to see Spurs this year mm-hmm. because I think they'll do better than people think. Mm-hmm. I don't think they'll get in the Champions League, but mm-hmm. that, I mean, I think the top three is going to be Man City, Liverpool, and Chelsea. And I think then you'll have Man United, Spurs, and Arsenal kind of fighting for the next three spots. It depends on what Man United do in the market. Well, yeah. Just broken tonight about Man United signing Van der Beek from uh, from Ajax. I heard actually, James. It was um, a bit, it, we'll, we'll, when this goes out, we'll probably know. So this will be interesting. But I heard it was Barcelona, given Ronald Koeman was his manager. Yeah, were also Barcelona kind of ruled themselves out though. Uh, the, Have they? I was reading. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. I so, think it, yeah. They need to do something because they they're standing still. I mean, to me, I I agree yeah, with you, James. Yeah. Mourinho will probably prove some doubters wrong. In my head, though, I think they could finish outside the top four and win a trophy, and that, that's kind of what I he think would want to do. I would be surprised if they won the Europa League. That's what I was or, thinking. And then you get I, two for the price of one. When Jose was in his first season, uh, first full season, Mourinho was in his first full season at Man United, he sort of sacrificed the league at the end, I think, to win the Europa League. I he think that's what he ex- might do at Spurs, because he knows yeah. he can't win the league. Mm. He knows top four is going to be difficult. Yeah. And so their best chance of getting the Champions League would probably be to win the Europa League. It probably would. And, and he knows how to win cups. He knows how to win finals. And if this Van den Beek thing is true, and uh, United fans will hope it is, I mean, I, I, I look at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and regardless of what you think of him, I think he's done a really good job because no one would have said that you could, you know, United's best position last year, if you'd have said United would get third, they'd have. Well, they'd have taken fourth, wouldn't they? I mean, they were no, no, yeah. in no way a shoo-in for the top four. There were still a lot of problems at the club. They were rebuilding still. They lost the top goal scorer. They never replaced Lukaku. They lost Herrera. They never replaced Herrera, another key player. They lost Alexis Sanchez. And although he's a much maligned figure, they never replaced him. They just stuck with what they had and they, they, they got Maguire in and they got Wan-Bissaka in, two good defensive signings. But they left themselves short, really, on paper, up, up top. So... And also to combat that without Fernandez for half a season, without Pogba, who was injured for half a season. You know, he was playing the likes of Pereira and Lingard in those attacking midfield creative positions for half a season, and they got third. They need him. I mean, this is, this is a real summary statement, but surely, and as, as quick as possible, summarise this, but he deserves backing, doesn't he? Otherwise, all yes. that hard work no. is done. What's the point? Absolutely, He's, he deserves it. He's earned it. I mean, he... Fernandez transformed their season. I mm. mean, let's be honest. If they had not signed Bruno Fernandez, they would not have got into the no, championship. No, no. So, but yeah, they they were playing some really great stuff yeah. at the end of the season. Yeah, they won. I think it was fifteen in a row, mm. or something like that, in all competitions. Mm. And yeah, he deserves. He's earned the backing. Yeah, he has. Mm. And if they don't back him this summer, what will ultimately happen is they might not get top four, and he'll get sacked. No, yeah, and, uh, and that's, that's how Man United work. No, and that's the you get top four, you get sacked. It's not the kind of old Man United where they're stable, no. continuity, stability. It's basically you make top four, or you or you're out. Yeah, you know I, mean, I mean that. Man got sacked when he finished fifth and won the FA Cup. He did, and that <laughs> that's the brutal realities of it. And I mean, moving on from that, now on to topic four. That might be sixteen minutes of football. I'm not quite sure, but we'll keep it out of the brand. So the last one really is to sort of to look at, at foreign affairs in many ways and looking at the footballing aspect across across Europe. And I mean, I suppose there's no better way to start really than Inter Milan, Antonio Conte announcing that he is staying for the uh, upcoming season. And I, to be honest, I mean, I do think that is a good thing because even though they missed out on the Europa League final at the end, they've been building the past season in a 3-5-2 Conte system. And to drop the project after a year would just be ridiculous, wouldn't it? And I mean, I know it's partly Conte inflicted because he had a go at everyone 
for not supporting him as much as he'd have liked, which he kind of likes to do. But um, I think most people at Inter will, associated with Inter will be happy to see the Conte project continuing. Yeah, that's right. It's good for them that that project continues. Yeah, to, to end it now would be kind of, not, you know, after all the investment they've made, would not be a good idea. I mean, uh, they brought Hakimi in as well, haven't they? Who's a, who's a, yeah. who's a very arguably top three in the world right back wing back very good going yeah. forward thrived at Borussia Dortmund and everyone thought well he's going to be a per- he's going to be perfect for Antonio Conte and then they thought whoa he's not he's not going to yeah. be here but now he is I mean that's that's going to be fantastic for him because at the moment really he's but he got second in the Serie A he got to the final of the Europa League yeah and, good um, and, and, and that was with wing backs uh, Kandreva, Ashley Young, Victor Moses you know the the, the, the Asamoa, these players, you know, these aren't these aren't getting into the top teams anywhere else across Europe. You know, the, Moses is a Chelsea reject, Young is an, a United reject, Kandreva is getting up older, and Asamoa even older. So, for two players that you know, wing backs are so um, important for Antonio Conte. He's been making use making use of scraps really, much like he did when he won the league at Chelsea with with Victor Moses. Yeah, he's there. good at it. He's good yeah. at that. Yeah. He's good. He has a system which works, and if he can find players which fit that system, then it will. Then he gets it to work. He's a very good manager, very good coach, good tactician. Mm. Mm. His problem is man management. That's his problem, mm. and his temperament. I mean, he seems to do this thing every year where he threatens to leave unless he gets what he wants, kind of thing. Mm. He threatens to. He did it. He did it at Juventus almost mm. every year, mm. and eventually he just walked out mm. at Juventus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chelsea, he did it, and the, the effects of that were catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they sacked him, and then he did it this year at Inter. And it wasn't a surprise. He only knows Conte. And they knew what he was going to do, and he never often. Most often, he just stays, mm-hmm. just a power play kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, so that he knows he's going to be back and he knows he's supported. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's got a good core of a team there. If, he, if they add, and they've already added. That guy, you say, Akeem. Yeah, he's really he'll, he'll suit that system really well. Mm. If they add a couple more, I think they're adding um, Kolarov from <laughs> Roma uh, for his leadership, apparently. Mm. Uh, potentially to play left centre back, I heard as well. Yeah, potentially in the left back. They wanted Emerson from mm. Chelsea potentially. Yeah, if they add a few players, they'll they'll be up there challenging for Serie A next season because Juventus are still in transition. Mm. I'm not convinced that Inter are that far behind Juventus now. I mean, yeah. they're only one point behind them in the league. Well, the well, well. as well, uh, Juventus undergoing, in, as you say, a new series of period of transition because they've sacked experienced manager Maurizio Sarri and put Andrea Pirlo in, who's a virtual novice with virtually no previous coaching experience of, of note. He's only just passed... I'm not... He did a few um, UEFA license uh, classes. I he's not passed his exams yet. He hasn't. No, passed. no, no. So he's been <laughs> fast tracked in. Yeah, essentially, that's what I was trying to say, James. He hasn't passed. His, he hasn't got his swimming badges yet in the coaching field, and uh, he's going to be. So Pilo's biggest task is going to be taking on one of Europe's elite. We'll say coaches. One of Europe's elite head coaches in Antonio Conte. It's a massive task for him, and. We were sort of flirting with the idea of Messi going there. It's unrealistic, unlikely. So the chances are that he's going to have to, you know, make some clever signings in that summer. But but one thing I've noticed noticed with Pirlo is he's not afraid to um, stamp down his authority. He's already told Gonzalo Higuain, you're not part of my plans. And I believe to have said the same thing to a few other players too. I think Aaron Ramsey's potentially on the chopping block. So it's always important to stamp your authority early, I guess, particularly when you're still quite an unproven manager. I mean, what, what do you make? What do you make of the, the possibilities with PLO? Do you think it's, some people have suggested, a two or three year mini project until Guardiola becomes available from Manchester City? Yeah, I think there's, there's definitely an element of that for me. It doesn't look like a long-term appointment for me. I just can't, I just can't see that. I think there's an element of laying the groundwork. I mean, Juventus have wanted Pep Guardiola for a long time. Mm. I, I'm convinced that the reason they hired Sarri was to kind of prepare the way in terms of philosophy because his philosophy is closer to Pep Guardiola's than Allegri's was. Mm. So 
And you, know, you don't know how long Pep Guardiola's got a City. I think if Messi goes to City and he apparently is going to sign a three-year contract if he goes, that might mean Pep stays another year at City. It might mean he stays another two years mm. at City. Because you're going to stay at City. If you've got, if you've got Messi and you've got that team, mm. then you're going to stay. Mm. I think, I think he, stay, he might stay at City another two years. And then mm. I think he wants to go. I think he wants to manage in Italy. Mm. I still want to be, I'm sure, sure he'll end up at, at, at Juventus at some point. Mm. You know, and then probably go and manage an international team, mm. potentially. Maybe PSG, so, James. Maybe PSG at some point as well. PSG, yeah, that's another. Yeah. I mean, crikey. PS, I mean, the mind boggles when you think about uh, him managing Mbappe and Neymar. Mm. <laughs> so that's a possibility as well. Everyone, when he leaves City, everyone will want him. Mm. Every big club, like, yeah, PSG will, will try for him. Juventus will try for him. You know, Barcelona might even try and go back for him, mm. depending on who the manager there is. And we're going to talk mm. about they're, they're going through a whole rebuild themselves, you know. So yeah. With Koeman at the moment, that's going to be interesting because a lot of that might depend on Messi because mm. uh, of their financial position, you know. They, well, well, you mentioned actually with Ronald Koeman, uh, the, the possibility of a rebuild. I mean, Koeman's an experienced manager, so he won't be afraid of taking on such a task. Also, a Barcelona, ex Barcelona player, ex Barcelona legend many would say so he won't shirk that responsibility but the, there's the, the reports have suggested that he sees Philip Coutinho and I am inclined to agree with this as someone who can be a benefit to Barcelona instead of a burden you know when we've seen Coutinho pop onto the scene for Bayern Munich in sort of a, a background role only producing cameo appearances in that Champions League really still produced the, the, um, the goods especially against Barcelona his parent club with nipping with a couple of goals uh, in that, you know, eight to annihilation. But, you know, Coutinho perhaps revived. I mean, Usman Dembele, someone who's such a phenomenal talent, who's just suffered so much with injuries, hasn't yeah. had the time to really grow into his Barcelona role. Much maligned figure. You don't have much time before people are on, the, on your backs if you're at one of the two Spanish giants. But now maybe people like that will get time because they're in a crisis and, Experienced players who, you know, but on the chopping block, apparently PK is up for sale. Apparently lots of players are up for sale. Messi wants to leave. So maybe it is an opportunity for some of these younger players to get more playing time. And we were talking about the Messi deal before, James. I mean, you'd want three players, wouldn't you, from Manchester City in that in that negotiation? Because yeah. Angelino's an exciting young fullback. Uh, Alba's getting on, so it would make sense to have young backup there or someone who can potentially take over from Alba this season. Garcia had wanted to join Barcelona and the centre-back, and you know, Gerard Piquet is on his last legs at the moment, it would seem, and it could potentially leave. And then if they manage to get Gabriel Jesus, you're getting one of Europe's hottest young forwards, you know, as part of that deal. And like you were saying before, Albeit Messi is the best player in the world, getting three players in who want to play for Barcelona, who have years left in the tank, and replacing someone who doesn't have as much desire to put on the, the Barcelona jersey, and getting rid of someone who is 33 years old and on 600,000 a week, Kuman could make something work there, could he not? He could. He could. It's, tough. it's a tough job. It's a tough job. Mm-hmm. My. The thing about Barcelona is, we're, as well, we're talking about the presidential elections. Mm. The person who's favourite to become president next... It's Donald Trump. No, uh, it's president of Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Um, has said publicly that he would sack Cuman and replace him with Xavi, who is the, the person that all the fans want mm. to be manager of Barcelona. They, th- they think he could be the next, you know, kind of the next in the Cruyff... Guardiola kind of <laughs> line, uh, mm. and he's even. I think Javi's even said that he wants to rebuild Barcelona when he gets a chance, but he, that probably won't do it under the current president. So I, mm. that will probably happen. Kieran probably <laughs> probably won't last long at Barcelona, a year probably. And mm. uh, you know, when those elections come, he'll be out of a job. So. Mm-hmm. Suppose he wants to make the most of it, you know. And if he can get, you're right. If he can get those players in, mm. I doubt he'll get those players in for Messi. But if he can sell, I mean, if, even if they sell Messi and use that money to buy players, they can they can be back next season. I mean, yeah, the gap wasn't that big in the Liga. 
No, I'm no, going to got a very good side though. To be mm. fair, if mm. even Hazard starts performing like he can mm. next season, which it has to be better than this season, it's probably mm. been his worst season ever. Yes. Um, so if he starts performing next season and Real Madrid, and Real Madrid have got a good squad. They do have a good squad. Yeah, of course there's a chance, but my suspicion is that they probably still won't be quite enough to win the Liga, but and they won't win the Champions League next no. year either. So no. then, then that's that's a, that's kind of a good enough reason to for any new president to push out, gently push out Cumin and bring in Chavi, you know. But they'll mm. have built some, but they might have built some foundations mm. by then. Yeah, scapegoat. I think is probably the word that Cumin yes. could inevitably be. But I mean, yeah. at Real Madrid, you're spot on. I think. We didn't necessarily see it in the games against Manchester City, but a lot of their success this season has been based on defensive resilience and game management. It's not quite like the Real Madrid teams of, of, you know, 10 years ago or five, six years ago where Bale was actually playing and Ronaldo was, you know, still still at the club and they were firing goal after goal past teams. Now it's a lot more... You know, again, built on structure, built on shape. And credit to Zidane for changing that, really, after going to relying so heavily on Ronaldo for his goals. When he left the club after winning the Champions League and then he came back, he had to, he changed it, didn't he? He's, he's, gone, for a, he's gone for more uh, of a conservative approach with his, with his setups. And I suppose one thing that was very obvious in the game against Manchester City, the defensive frailties without Sergio Ramos, we talk about Thiago mm-hmm. Silva coming to Chelsea and offering experience at 35 years old. 36, 35? That's what I was reading. And uh, also, you know, you look at uh, possibly the third best centre-back in the Premier League, by the way, behind Van Dijk and Laporte, because it, even at that age, he's so experienced and can still do so much of a job. Real Madrid without Sergio Ramos, you say, oh, he's getting on now and Real Madrid have got good centre-backs there. They were not the same at all without him in that second leg. That no, experience, that know-how that he brings, and he's also got a bit of a swazziness to him because the way he, he strokes home free kicks now that the likes of Ronaldo and Bale oh, aren't no. on the field too. He's a phenomenal player, one of the best, possibly most underrated players in the past, I don't know, 10 no, years. I agree, absolutely. Phenomenal well, player. Well. Yeah, and you know, it, it, it goes to show that I suppose where you are, and John Terry as well at 35, where, where, was winning titles with Chelsea, wasn't he? So he it was. just showed the yeah. importance of the old centre half. You know, it doesn't uh, it doesn't disappear. I say with age, if, if anything, it just makes them stronger. And just maybe a word on Atletico as well under Diego Simeone. Mm-hmm. We saw them do amazingly against Liverpool to get into. Um, the latter stage of the Champions League, and then they sort of were humbled, really, by Leipzig. And then, quite annoyingly, I think, on the commentary, the commentary, I think, when I was watching on BT, seemed to be sort of questioning why they, was, they weren't playing more football against uh, Leipzig. I mean, to be honest, that's just what you get. You can't just switch it on and off like a tap, can you? I mean, that's what you get with Diego Simeone. With, it's the brand that you sign up to. Do you, are, you of the, are you of the opinion, though, James, that, you know, they should be looking to play more football with the team that they have? Or do you think, just like, you know, Antonio Conte teams and, and other teams that, that that people buy into that ethos for a reason. People like the players running their feet into the ground, making themselves hard to beat, and pe- and just annoying the opposition. Do you think that still sells? I think some of the fans. I think it, most of the fans at Atletico will still say yes, it does. Yeah, but it can it be counterproductive in games where, like against Leipzig, they did have to attack them because Leipzig was sitting with a deep block, and then they, they pinned them on the counter. That's right, and then like, I mean, Griezmann was such a good player for that system because mm. he was able to make the runs from deep and then get into the box and score. They bought Yao Felix, who was a really good player. Just not suited at all, is he? But he is not suited. I, yeah. I thought it was a bad move actually when when he signed. I thought yeah. he, he does not suit this system. He needs to be playing in a kind of Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, um, you know, type attacking. System yeah. where he's got more expression, where absolutely he, he's not restricted. Spot on. Uh, and I, 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 if I was him, I'd be trying to move. Well, you know, for his own career, because 
he's a massive talent. I mean, he will be a great player. Yeah, yeah. But he won't be a great player at Atletico Madrid. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't want to be restricted. We don't, but we are because we've gone into seventeen minutes of football. I oh, think have we? Yeah. we have. I think so. That will wrap that up there nicely. That was a a good discussion, a good topical discussion on four interesting topics. I mean, in future we might be discussing Messi's impact potential impact on his new club or where he might play that will be make some interesting news and maybe uh, the possibility of uh, van der Beek to United and if they can ever manage to get on with the business of Jadon Sancho what Jadon Sancho could do mm-hmm. in that Man United team is still very possible even though they don't seem to be doing very much at present but mm-hmm. I think that's a nice way to summarise and goodbye from myself goodbye